Hello and welcome to the Marketing That Matters podcast, where we have casual conversations for purpose-driven women. Each week we'll talk about what's grabbed our attention, hacks making our life easier, and chat about a purpose-led brand. So let's get into what's got our attention this week. So this week um, I listened to the podcast The Imperfects by and the guest was Ryan Shelton. So Ryan Shelton is an Australian comedian, writer, performer. He has been very successful with a long-standing friendship with Hamish and Andy. Ryan's writing and producing Hamish and Andy's Gap Year, True Stories, co-writing Chris Lilly's award-winning We Can Be Heroes and was a regular on Rove back in the day. He talks about his early career successes alongside best friend Hamish Blake and his feelings of disappointment, jealousy and shame when he felt like he, like their two career paths diverged. It was really raw and it was so interesting to see someone who's had so much success almost be vulnerable. And I think when you see people that have almost reached such a height in their career be vulnerable, it actually um, makes them more relatable and you sort of realise that goals, everyone has goals and no matter what, that goal is people still keep having goals even if they've done you know as what Ryan Shelton's done produced all those incredible shows with Hamish and Andy had huge success um he's still opened up to 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 why he's still not doesn't feel like he's achieved what he wants to achieve and I think it's um almost not common for comedians to be so vulnerable Mm. either actually I can't really think of one who has been so honest yeah um, but what I wanted to talk about, why it got my attention, is he discusses the idea of why we do what we do and what it's all for and the difference between having a purpose and a goal. Yeah, so I found that really interesting because you can have both. You can have a goal and you can have purpose and they essentially will work hand in hand if you're if you're trying to achieve both. Um, He reflects on why we do what we do and almost making you look at what you're doing and what it's all for because he discusses um, when he thought of his, I don't want to give it all away, but when he thought of what he wanted to do, I mean where he wanted to be and get to, what then and how will it feel and why. And it's so interesting to see. I have heard that a lot really successful people even saying that they should have enjoyed the journey more because when they got somewhere they were like now what I have heard that quite commonly yeah it was it was really interesting because I'd never um I'd never probably looked at it in that way before like we all have these goals and what's the goal but what does it look like and what is yeah what essentially what is your purpose in achieving yeah. that goal. Yeah, you, you could have a goal and get there but still not feel fulfilled. Yes. Yeah, if you don't have a, a purpose behind but, it, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Um, at about 28 minutes in, I would recommend, so this is the Imperfect podcast, Ryan Shelton, at about 20 minutes in, I won't tell you what happens but he has a very confronting realisation and it's definitely worth listening to. Um Hold on to till 28 minutes, please, because you will literally be um, – Keep listening. Yeah, keep listening because you will, you will be 
interested in what in what happens around then. As in something personally he comes across or Yeah, probably the most vulnerable he is um in the podcast. Like you think that what is you think that getting up to that twenty eight minute mark, he has been pretty vulnerable. But then when it gets there, it's just it's mind blowing how much he puts um puts himself out there really. And it's yeah, it's 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 um it's definitely worth a listen. Yeah, okay, great. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. Great. Okay, so what's got my attention this week? I, probably like a few other people, started watching Emily in Paris on Netflix. Why it got my attention is that she works for a marketing agency in Paris and she's probably what you'd call an account manager, I guess, or a brand manager, if you like. Um, Why it originally got my attention was that she had a few Chanel handbags. And I was thinking, hmm, I know when I was an account manager, I definitely couldn't afford one Chanel handbag, let alone a few, plus some Chanel earrings and a lot of other high fashion pieces. Um, so I, I thought, are they being a little bit unrealistic here? But then after reading a little bit about the show, it was um, slammed heavily by French critics. Um, it was created by Darren Starr, who's also, he was responsible for Sex and the City. And he also created Younger, the one that's quite popular at the moment. Personally, I think by having a strong female lead, that was positive. And then they also had some strong um, uh, co-stars, I guess, if you like. The, the, the GM of the marketing agency was also female and she had a few female friends. So the, it was quite a strong female lead. I'll read you something from Shannon Keating from BuzzFeed. Even though we're given a very vague sense of where Emily comes from and her boring, normal, middle American upbringing, we aren't given any idea how this relatively young careerist is able to don herself every day in pieces of couture. In that sense, she has a lot in common with her predecessor, Sarah Jessica Parker, Sarah Jessica Parker's Carrie, who infamously and inconceivably afforded a Manhattan apartment and spent 40k a year on shoes on a freelance writer's salary. I just thought that was interesting because I picked up on a lot of things that made her seem these things that were quite unattainable. Um, and then when I read that, I thought, oh, okay, well, I never really picked that up from Sex in the City. Which, And when you read it, it's like, of course, how could she have afforded that? But I think the difference for me was that, um, in, was that in Sex in the City, they quite heavily focused on some of her struggles with money I don't know there was a few episodes where there where she was maybe going to get kicked out of her apartment and there's a lot of her talking about oh I buy so much spend so much money on shoes I don't have money for anything else I I agree I also think that we became used to it because you know think how many seasons there were of Sex and the City so it wasn't like we're watching two three episodes of Sex and the City the first you know first episode second episode third episode and then judging the show because if we did that we'd be like hey hold on a minute was she a, isn't she a col- col- columnist? How does she afford those shoes and the apartment? But we are watching, binge watching seasons of Sex and the City because, for instance, by the time I got to the end of Emily in Paris, I kind of forgotten about it. I was just sort of in the groove of this type of show. You know what to expect. Sure. Yeah, I never really thought of it that way. That's such a good point. The way that we consume the shows now makes it probably different to the way we think about it. Well, it, the fact that it was a new show and 
we were so judgy we're so judgy to begin with because it's a new show are we going to like this can I relate to it that seems a little bit far-fetched you know these are all the things that must be going through our heads when we first see that first second episode she can't afford that don't tell me an account manager can afford that um especially moving to a new a new city um but because because it was it's obviously part of the show and how they're trying to make you fit that you want to see the cool outfits it's oh, the whole part I was watching it mainly was because I was it feels nice to see those outfits and see how beautifully dressed she is um and that's part that was part of it and it's part of Sex and City and it's just why we like it so they can't take that out of it yeah, I also didn't like it as much as I liked, say, something like The Bold Type, which is quite, also quite popular at the moment. And I couldn't put my finger on why um, until I read something else in the same article where they said, whereas Emily's Bold Type counterparts contend with issues like racism in magazine publishing, queer representation and sexual harassment, Emily's biggest crisis is... Emily's biggest crises involve small fire problems on the job, which are mostly the result of her hopeless Americanness and failure, failure to adapt to French culture. So that really hit home for me that I think I enjoyed a program like The Bold Type a little bit more for some of the issues they tackled versus something a little bit more light and fluffy. And I think the light and fluffy almost the light and fluffy allows people to criticize it more maybe because they're not tackling harder issues. Agree, but I do think this was Darren, Darren Starr's intention, obviously, otherwise they would have jumped into the issues harder. I also found it quite, at first, um, almost like almost so different to anything else that's out there at the moment because everything that's millennial-focused really dives into the issue as if we've got to solve it, like the bold type. You know, you can't do that. That's you know, that's sexist, say, in one of the episodes where they have a lady walking naked across the bridge. It's, But then they sort of just move on. Um, I read in The Atlantic, um, the journalist Shirley Lee said, um, uh, she notices but doesn't dwell on her co-workers' criticism. She moves past a breakup with ease, speaking about Emily, sorry. She's not ignorant of her mis- missteps. She just utterly unfazed by them. She's a millennial who also happens to be a worry-free serial optimist, a mix so supernatural in today's TV landscape that it made even a jaded viewer like me cheer on her idealism. Emily in Paris operates like a high-end perfume ad cinematic in looks, low stakes in plot, and somehow so strangely captivating that you can't look away. I just felt that that is so true. At the at first, this show, I thought, come on, Darren Star, we we were thinking this is going to be another Sex and the City. Why is it so almost almost? I thought at first it was quite weak. That's how my first after watching the first two episodes, I thought this is going to be like Hillary Duff goes to Paris or whatever that show was. This is going to be so flat. But I found myself captivated, and I think a lot of other people have too. But because they have just They've just touched on it, but they haven't made us jump really hard into these these issues that millennials find themselves in now. Um, it was easy to watch, and gosh, let let us have an easy to watch show once in a while. I know I sat there and watched the whole not the whole thing at once, but I, I watched it all. So I'm thinking, well, I've obviously enjoyed it enough to watch it all, and I think for me, I know the light and fluffy is a great relief at the moment. Um, so I should just take that as a win. Totally. However, I will give a one criticism to the show. Surely they have a social media person in within the 
you know, realm of, is it a HBO? Like surely within the realm of their contacts that could come up with a little bit more creative social media posts for Emily. Or was that intentional as well? Like some of the things she posted and su- pretend and supposedly got all those likes, I thought, come on, that is just the most, they were just, they were so un, um, uncreative in terms of the posts. And I, maybe it is because the producers are 59 year old, man rather than a millennial who knows and then thinks that's okay but I do think it was on purpose that it wasn't supposed to be like the bold types post for instance can be uh spot on yeah 100 percent. I think I wonder if um a lot of the younger people watching and going it's not that easy to just build a following online yes, yes exactly <laughs> um I do want to talk about um Sorry, we're we're talking so much about Emily in Paris but I do actually want to talk about Darren Starr's reason for creating a millennial show again because it is you know he is 50 like he's getting into 60s and he's he's gone in out of his complete comfort zone and i i read an interesting article um well it was actually um he told indywire that he thinks of the generation as much as a as a generation so much as a state of mind so he compares them to a foreign language, a system our older generations can learn to be fluent in, hence why he has re- um, produced Younger, which was a 40-year-old being a 20-year-old, pretending to be a 20-year-old, and now he has a complete lead role in Emily in Paris, who is a, who is a millennial. He, he feels that the older generation can learn this type of language and, and it interests him how we, how we communicate through social media and it's such a big part of our purpose yeah well uh we both think it's definitely worth a watch so we'll put the link in the show notes if you guys want to watch it it's on netflix let's get into our life hacks that we both found making ourselves more productive i've been using the triple click on uh the right side of my phone to turn my screen red This was something that a sleep consultant told me. I have a son that doesn't sleep very well. So yes, I've seen a sleep consultant because I'm so tired. Um, So I think it's really well known now how blue light can affect your sleep. Um, And she was telling me, obviously, the red light has a different effect. So it doesn't have, um, basically, blue light activates photoreceptors in your eyes and that inhib- inhibits the production of melatonin to allow you to sleep. So obviously putting blue light in your eyes in the middle of the night is not going to be conducive to going back to sleep. So she said to me to turn my phone red so if I'm using it as a light in the middle of the night when I'm feeding my child or trying to get him back to sleep that it won't interfere with the hormones in terms of getting him back to sleep, which is so interesting. So, yeah, you can uh, – I think the newer phones, it does it automatically. Um, I'm not too sure exactly what model. But otherwise, you can go into settings and accessibility and change your turn your color filters red, and then you can um, use the shortcut to do the triple click. So I use that every night at the moment. So I triple click my phone probably about 7 p.m. I leave it red all night. So if I'm using it as like a light, it come, it's all red. It's really hard to use your phone in that state though. Um, but if you're using it just for a little bit of light, it's um, – it's really good and then I turn it back off in the morning yeah I'll have to try that um my hack is the space bar on the messenger so when you're writing a text some people know this but if you don't know it I feel like I need to make sure that as many people know it as possible because I had no idea that people didn't know this until a close friend has been raving about it of late 
But if you use, if you hold down the space bar when you're messaging, it actually means that you can move around your message. So you don't have to try and. Um, what do you mean move it around? So you can, it's almost like a mouse. It becomes a mouse. Oh. Yeah, it's like a trackpad. It creates a trackpad. So you can actually, say you've written a long message, you can just hold down the space bar and move to wherever you want to go. Oh, okay. Yeah, rather yeah. than like clicking it and oh, trying to, and your big finger will get in the way yes. of trying to get the exact spot. Oh my spot. gosh, I did not know this. Okay. Yes, yes. Perfect. Oh, wow. Um, so instead of like you're like you've literally got your phone like a centimeter from your face and you're trying to tap at the certain spot yes. you want, you hold down the space bar and, and move. And then further to that, you can actually um, you can actually do a swipe. You can do um, you can text by swiping between the letters too, rather than lifting your thumb every time. But that takes a little bit of time to get used to. But say if you were to write, it takes a little bit of practice. But say if you were to write hello, you swipe from the H to the E to the L and make it you just move your finger towards it and it works out what you're writing that's amazing yeah. I wonder is that um you know how if you're people can't see me but I'm moving my thumbs and that's how you get um I think it's RSI is that right possibly I wonder if that is to 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 help alleviate that yeah maybe I'm well, not sure it, we'll have to find I out. don't do it all the time but it's good to know and maybe someone would like to use it but the space bar is game changer oh I'm definitely going to try that yeah if you try it too, let us know. We'd love to hear about it. This week, the brand we're talking about is GoTo Skincare. GoTo Skincare, for those of you who don't know, is an Australian skincare line. It was founded by Zoe Foster Blake. Uh, she was a quite a well-known beauty editor back in the magazine heydays. Um, I think for Cosmopolitan. I'm not sure. I could be wrong. And she's created her own line of skincare. Um, we thought this would be a good one to talk about because it's it's relatively popular at the moment. I know you can find it in stores like Mecca and stuff now as well as online. And they've actually expanded into some kids' ranges as well. And I think they're also releasing a men's line too soon. So I thought that their purpose was basically just creating effective skincare from what I can come up with. I've read a few articles when she first released her first few products and it seemed like she was just all about making skincare really simple and but stuff that worked um, from all of her experience. Did you get the same thing? Yeah, I I definitely, even the name go-to being just, just what you need to grab is simple in itself. Um, it's not trying to be overly fluffy or change the world in that but literally just go to skincare, just skincare you just can easily use is is also around the whole simplified skincare. And their, their copywriting on all their packaging and all their marketing is very um, on brand in that way. I do feel the purpose um, of simplified skincare is, is apparent in all their, in all what I've seen. Um, and is that enough? Is that enough of a purpose? I don't. I don't think so. No. Um, I did see that on their website that they were talking about being sustainable, cruelty free, and also a bit about inclusivity mm-hmm. as well. Which I think, if if I was to look at it, you know, the effective skin as effective and simple skincare is more of their unique selling proposition, and those other things like the sustainability, being cruelty free, and inclusivity would be more of the purpose. Right. But I think if you have 
all of those things, it really dilutes their message. So I feel like they just need to stick with one. Sure. Like I almost think being cruelty-free and sustainable these days is a must for all businesses. Mm-hmm. So I think for them that inclusivity thing would be really interesting to um, have that as the forefront of their purpose and messaging mm-hmm. um, because I think that is something that you definitely don't see in all skincare brands and, and makeup brands. Um, whereas I don't know about you, but I find most businesses these days, I want them to already be sustainable and cruelty-free anyway. I would almost expect that. Mm-hmm. So something like the inclusivity is things that I don't see a lot of brands doing. Um, and I think that the more a brand like that could do something in, in that way is great. Great space for sure. So I agree. I saw four days ago GoTo announced their commitment to being a company that values and promotes equality and inclusivity. And the way they did it was they actually haven't – they've actually put um, – their purpose into action, which is I love when I see brands do this. They have not only um, guaranteed that they will match um, staff's um, donations to inclusivity charities, but they have also discontinued two of their ranges, which is the Zincredible Tinted and Pinky Nudie Lip, as they understand the tinted products weren't inclusive, offering a single shade. So that's... If if I'm going to use an example of purpose and action, that is it. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Brands these days can't just think that talking about inclusivity because you have a platform is enough. You need to show how your brand is actually making change in order to help that movement. If it's not, don't say it. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's almost... Um something you don't see very often for a brand to actually be taking action have to see it agree but then also i would say that there's a flip side of brands that do things say do that because of everything that's happening with black lives matter and things Mm. in 2020 but don't know how to show it yeah so and i'm not saying that this um but some some brands do make changes in their business because it's necessary in in the in the way you know the um, business evolves, society evolves, and what community expects expects. However, how does your marketing grab that and use it, and how do they show that this is part of the business becoming a better business for the customers? So there's a, I think there's two ways in that: some that pretend, some that do it, and don't tell them, mm. don't tell their market. Yeah. I think as well, something the brand does well is the brand has so much personality. Mm. I think um, Zoe in herself is quite a memorable person Mm. and it really comes across in a lot of their marketing. Um, Even down to the point that, like you said, their brand name is quite self-explanatory and says what it does. Even the personality comes across in the brand even when you look at the brand in something like a distributor like like Mecca, even the name of the products and the description of the products, the personality comes across in that. So even if you're not on their website, you're not dealing with GoTo directly, you're just looking at the product in a separate store, the personality still comes through and all that, which they've done so, so well just by using copy. Totally. And that just goes to show how copy can really drive your marketing. Yes. A lot of people don't understand why copywriting is important yeah um and i think this brand shows really is a really good example of how good copy can 
show the brand personality really, really well. That covers it for this week. Make sure you leave us a review or follow us on Instagram, Marketing That Matters Pod. We love a chat. Thanks for listening to Marketing That Matters Podcast, casual conversations for purpose-driven women. Thank you.